You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB news correspondent Noel Herhusky Schneider talked to lifelong Paoli, Indiana resident Jesse Laws about the Hoosier National Forest Management Plan. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, civil or not, the court case of Tulevsky versus Marion and the debate over a private right to sue only on Disabulletin. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. On October 18th at the Bloomington Climate Action Resilience Committee meeting, Councilmember Matt Flaherty outlined a proposal to decrease air pollution in Bloomington by phasing out gas-powered equipment. Flaherty explained that one strategy of the Climate Action Plan is to reduce citywide gas and diesel-powered construction, recreation, and lawn equipment. First action is to introduce a policy to replace city off-road and lawn equipment with electric and low-carbon fuel alternative options at the time of replacement with traditional internal combustion engine as optional, requiring proof of need. Establish emission standards, testing and biofuel preference for any combustion vehicles remaining in the equipment fleet. Encourage county, school district, and Indiana University to develop and implement their own policies. So that's one action. The next is to develop an incentive program to convert fuel burning lawn equipment such as gas powered lawnmowers and blowers to electric. Coordinate with Duke Energy for support and identification of additional rebate programs to promote electric yard equipment. That's the second action. The third one establish a gas powered lawn equipment phase out ordinance, transitioning to lawn equipment powered by electricity, alternative clean fuels and decrease noise pollution levels. Um, in terms of phasing, uh, the first action I read is, is uh, phase one. Uh, the, the next two are, are phase two actions. Um, so that's what the climate action plan says. Uh, I'll also note that, um, as you all know, we've um, had Hugh uh, Kramer and a few other folks come to council uh, a few times over the last uh, few years, uh, highlighting you know this issue and how it's a real uh, burden, um, I think mostly from a noise pollution perspective, but probably a local air pollution perspective as well. Um, you know, in their uh, immediate vicinity of their, their homes. Flaherty shared what the Bloomington government should consider about the implementation and pointed out ways they can collaborate with other local entities like Indiana University and Monroe County Community School Corporation in the future. In terms of the overall scope, uh, this is true of, of a lot of different types of emissions. We've got really two categories. We've got local government operations and we've got community scale um, uh, emissions. So. Looking at the local government, and, and you know, the actions um, are, are related to both of those as well. In fact, that first action about a city policy uh, it is, you know, government operations. Uh, additionally, any community scale um, regulation that we pass, we have to be able to comply ourselves. So that's an important consideration as we think about those types of um, policy options. Uh, so on the local government operations side, uh, I know some of this work is underway uh, with the departments in terms of cataloging equipment, and, and I think in most cases already, uh, when possible, uh, replacing with electric at time of replacement. Um, but wondering if this committee would like to you know, be involved in 
facilitating a, a holistic, holistic look at that um, with, um, you know, each department, I suppose, leading to a, a citywide inventory of all off-road equipment um, categorized into logical categories uh, like mowers or, you know, blowers and string trimmers, things like that, um, to look at number of units we have and their age, uh, typical life cycle, um, cost, you know, comparisons at time of replacement for traditional combustion engine, alternative fuels, or electric, uh, and make sure that that's a, a life cycle look at cost, including maintenance operations, not just upfront capital. Um, noting any logistical barriers. Uh, so, you know, when the use case is um, an all-day application of, of a bigger equipment, um, it's probably going to require a change about batteries. Might be quite easy to do with uh, blowers or string trimmers, harder to do with a riding lawnmower, for instance. Um, and the cost competitiveness may vary there too. So I think looking at those factors, and then yeah, once you have that set of information, right, and we talked about this a little bit, Alex, you can start to talk about, okay, what's our phase out timeline if we just do time of replacement? What, where does the technology still need to come along or the market still need to come along for that need to be viable? Like what type of premium are we going to pay for, uh, you know, going electric at time of replacement? And then in some categories, uh, maybe worse defenders for air and noise pollution or, uh, you know, most cost competitive, we can, we can consider early retirement of, of gas power equipment. So that's kind of the, the universe of, of things to look at uh, there. It will at least help us get to the point of understanding what a transition timeline is like for the city, um, you know, what we want to invest in on that front. So once we get a, a holistic look at the problem, um, we can potentially legislate that. We've done that, you know, with building ordinance and other things like that. So that's a possible council action, doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, and then finally, part of that action called from climate action plan, I think is related to this one, is encouraging IU, Monroe County government, and MCCSC uh, to also um, advance uh, similar efforts. And I think, you know, maybe as we wrap our heads around that problem, eventually some joint convenings, trying to get uh, maybe a joint commitment for transition uh, would be terrific. Uh, possible that there's, you know, options for bulk buy, buying uh, that would benefit everybody, something like that. Flaherty suggested ideas for how they could regulate the gas-powered equipment. He said that other cities have introduced bans on when it is acceptable to use gas-powered equipment. We can work to disincentivize gas-powered equipment, incentivize electric uh, in the near term, do that programmatically. Um, possibly you could do some of that regulatorily um, through, uh, in particular, Hugh has brought examples, and Kramer has brought examples of, of you know, bands of, of types uh, in other communities. Uh, those tend to be seasonal or time of day based bands. Maybe you can only use gas powered equipment in uh, sort of prime uh, spring and fall uh, seasons and only eight to five, you know, Monday through Saturday or something like that. Um, so that's one possibility uh, on the regulation side. You can also look to obviously uh, educate and encourage transition to electric uh, equipment. Uh, so we can uh, explore rebate programs with big energy, hardware stores, uh, manufacturers. I think the education component could go a long way, especially because it's harmful to outdoor workers. Um, and, and, you know, figuring out what, at least getting an understanding from the, uh, the people working in this field professionally, the commercial um, you know, service providers, like how they're thinking about it, what would help them transition, identifying really all that suite of, of um, options before we can realistically talk about a, a complete phase out or, you know, ban. Economic and Sustainable Development Director Alex Crowley said the office of the mayor is interested in moving it forward and wants to get the public's input on how to best regulate gas-powered emissions. I mean, look, I think, I think uh, really, I think it, 
this feeling, I think he's supportive of it. I think the feeling is we're not exactly sure what the right answer is, but like we don't want to have unforeseen consequences as a result of not having thought through it properly at the beginning. And so the idea behind the, you know, getting airing out, having some hearings, having people in from industry, from the private, you know, from residents and whatever, is just to try to capture, all right, what are we not thinking of? How do we structure this? What are the ones we look a little bit already at around the country? So you know what's out there, but what's the one that makes the most sense for us here? And um, and just have that out, right? And then we can make a judgment about, about what the right answer is. Um, I don't know that we know right now what the answer should be here. And um, people have opinions, but you know, their voices of one and two of the public, and they, they aren't necessarily representative of the public. So I think we just need to understand generally what would work. The committee discussed holding a public hearing on the ordinance in the near future. In today's feature report, WFHB news correspondent Noel Herhusky Schneider talked to lifelong Paoli, Indiana resident Jesse Laws about the Hoosier National Forest Management Plan. Laws has ridden the horse trails in the Hoosier National Forest her whole life and has concerns about how the Forest Service has proposed to log and burn it. We turn to Noel Herhusky Schneider for more. How did you get involved in the pushback against the Hoosier National Forest Management Plan, specifically the one close to you, the Buffalo Trace Restoration Project? I'm um, not an not an activist. Like this is all new to me. I'm local, um, and I've ridden horses here my whole life. So this is this whole process is new to me, and I didn't realize really how the forestry service worked, the ins and outs, until this all started. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> Can you explain how your interactions with the forest service have been so far? Um, just over the course of my lifetime, it's been good um, because as a trail rider, horses and mountain bikes, we have to purchase a trail tag to um, be on the trails. Only horses and cyclists have to do that. And so over the years, um, I've been stopped by the DNR here and there when I've been riding and they've asked to see my trail tag. And it's always been positive, positive interactions. And even now, it's not the guys on the ground that are keeping the trails clean and maintaining things. Um, we, I still have positive interaction with those guys because they're just doing what they're told. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's when you get a little bit higher up, they don't, um, they don't want to, they don't want to give you information that you ask for and so that's been frustrating mm-hmm. I've had to kind of hunt some of that stuff down myself um but I mean over the over the years and being in the woods as much as I am the interaction has normally been positive um because they're the guys that if we have trees down on the horse trails or there's a problem we can call them and they'll come clean it up or they will put a pipe in where the trail stays really muddy or they maintain the trails for us. So mm-hmm. it's been positive over the years. This is the first time I've had really got into the whole um, political realm of it. And it's 
not so positive. <laughs> I know there's a lot of information out there on this issue. Can you try to give a brief summary about what's going on and the proposed plans? Um, well, from from our our perspective, as I'll just I'll just do it as local, and mm-hmm. from my main interest in it is the trail system, um, because we ride horses, and so we're constantly utilizing the trail system that the Forestry Service has in the Hoosier National, not just in Orange County, but um, in, in other counties in Lawrence County, Hickory Ridge area. That's also Hoosier National, and so we just got, you know, we were notified that there was going to be a large um, forestry project going to start. And we had so long to write our comments in saying whether we thought this was a good idea or not. But um, what they proposed was part of their proposal is eight miles of the horse trail that we enjoy here in the specific Buffalo Springs area. Eight miles of it will be log road um, because they're going to go in and timber in there. Well, when they're timbering, um, number one, you can, we can't be on the trail system because they're timbering and you can't have horses in the woods when, or people on bikes or hikers or when trees are falling. Um, so that was what kind of got me involved. And, and I don't want the landscape down here. And a lot of the other locals don't want the landscape to be clear cut or destroyed. I mean, in this area, I know on the Forestry Services map, there are only small amounts of clear cut, but the clear cut is next to the select cut, and the select cut is next to the shelter wood cut, and it's such a small area that it will all run together. Um, mm-hmm. And so, it's not it's not something we want to see. Is the the forestry down here brought brought in with huge equipment and cut down so that's kind of what I got involved with it um, because I've been here my whole life and it's like my you know part of these woods all these woods are like my home we've been on a horse on them our whole lives and um, we don't want to see it all cut down and not just the horse people but the hunters um, and we have hunters from other states that come here to hunt here and not good for the local economy either because we have a lot of people that come to this area just to enjoy our part of the Hoosier National and if that's not here if the trees are gone then they won't come here (laughs) wow thank you so much you explained that so well I want to ask so when they sent you the notice and you gave public comment how does that work and also do you feel like they're listening to you um well, during the public comment period, the people um, that were notified were people who had property adjoining the Hoosier National. And not everybody who has property adjoining the Hoosier National got a scoping notice. That's what it's called when they kind of send a notice and say, here's what we're thinking. And and not everyone was notified of that. And if you don't have property adjoining the Hoosier National here, you had no idea that this was a potentially going to happen um so they they sent out a scoping letter the public has 30 days 
uh, to send comments into uh, the Forestry Service about whether they approve, disapprove, what are the reasons that you are for it or against it. Um, and then the Forestry Service is supposed to take those into consideration, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but even our, our local uh, county commissioners, the whole county commission board, all of them also sent in a letter to the Hoosier National, um, to the Forestry Service, I should say, that they were not um, in favor of this project, that they did not want that to happen in our county. And we, none of us received any type of response back, not even our um, county council, our elected officials didn't even receive a response back saying anything. Um, and mm -hmm. so, and, and since that time, since the 30-day comment period is over, um, we've continued to send, send in um, comments, whether they'll be accepted or not. We've continued to send those in. Um, and so then we kind of got a grassroots deal going on about, wait a minute, we don't want this to happen. So we've been kind of working together to see what we can do to... Um, be in talks with, I guess, with the Forestry Service and see what we can do to maybe stop this project, but I don't, they don't have any interest in stopping this project, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of, you know, kind of frustrating because we're, we're the people that live here and they don't care. <laughs> I don't think they care if we have an opinion against it, really. Do you know why this the project was proposed in the first place or like what their intentions are with the logging? Um, well, with the, I mean, with, with the logging, it's, it's kind of two parts from the way that I understand it. The forestry service presents it. Number one, the, um, the pines that are here are not native. Um, they were planted I think in the 50s, um, because the erosion and the farming had kind of just dried everything out around this, especially in the Buffalo Springs project area. Mm -hmm. um, the farming there had dried out. The soil erosion was starting really bad. And so the Forestry Service planted pines to stop the erosion and keep it from being so dry and which the pines have done a wonderful job of that. And now those pines are, you know, starting to die off because as they've reached the end of their lifespan and they, they want to come in and remove those, any of the pines that are here, um, which we oppose because as the pines die, they fall over and they mm -hmm. create light you know, light where there was all shade and when they die, they fall over. And so then when the shade, shade is gone and the sun comes in, then those oaks and hickories and those kind of trees are going to start coming up because it's not so shaded. So naturally, you know, naturally for us, the pines die and fall over and then the other mm -hmm. stuff comes up from the bottom. That's just naturally what happens. So they want to take the pines out, um, because they want oak and hickory regeneration to happen, which um, doesn't happen without quite a bit of sunshine. And another thing they want to do is uh, to, they say there is not enough um, age diversity in our forest, that the trees are all 
mature and that we don't have young growth, um, which is not true. If you've been in the woods down here, there are trees of all ages, very, very small to very old. Um, and so they want to create more class diversity in ages uh, with the forest system down here. Um, so that's, that's my understanding of why they want to come in. And also they won't say so. The Forestry Service sees trees as a crop. Um, they're, the Forestry Service falls under the USDA. That's who their main boss is, and that's the Department of Agriculture. And so they see the trees as a, as a crop, as a cash crop. And so they can cut them down and make money on them. We're not sure exactly, I'm not sure exactly where the money goes, but it does not come back into our community once they cut our trees down so mm-hmm. this the, there's those are the three main main reasons that i see as them starting wanting to start this project now um is the age diversity and the pines and to be honest and the money that they could make off very large trees <laughs> Starting this week, the Disabulletin embarks on another special report, this time from right here in Indiana to the federal courts of Washington, D.C. That's right, we'll be covering Civil or Not, the court case of Tlebsky versus Marion, and the debate over a private right to sue. Marion County Corporation of Health and Human Services faces a lawsuit from the family of an Indiana nursing home resident, now deceased, who alleges his civil rights were violated. A lawsuit filed by the family of nursing home resident Georgie Tolevsky reaches its climax as oral arguments are slated to come before the U.S. Supreme Court on November 8th. The lawsuit filed against the Marion County Corporation of Health and Human Services contends that Valparaiso Care, a nursing home run by the Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County violated Section 1983 of the U.S. Code and the Fair Nursing Home Act by, quote, chemically restraining Tulevsky with powerful and unnecessary psychotropic medications, which resulted in the patient's, quote, physical and cognitive decline, and also by transferring Tulevsky to another nursing home illegally, end quote. The question at hand is whether a private citizen can file a federal civil rights claim for violation of a law regarding federal funding of benefit programs. The court case could eliminate the right for private citizens to sue state or federal governments who withhold benefits, including Medicaid. HHC has said it has nothing to do with the care Tolevsky received, but rather that when people who are part of benefit programs under federal legislation are denied access to those programs, they have no right to sue in federal court. Rather, such enforcement should be left to state statutes. The HHC board allegedly has chosen to pursue the court case to Levsky v. Marion HHC without a vote amongst its board. Just this week, Morgan Daly of the Indiana Statewide Independent Living Council asked for each member of the Marion County HHC's board to be fined and award her attorney fees. Daly hopes that such fines will be an incentive for board members to hold a vote for whether to continue pursuit of the Tulevsky case. 
As the day of oral arguments draws closer, WFHB's Disabulletin will discuss the history of court cases involving Section 1983 of the U.S. Code starting next week. In the coming weeks, we will also feature commentary from experts at the Indiana University Mauer School of Law, advocates at the nonprofit Arc of Indiana, and more. I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. Up next, more Dillies on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Okay, so recently I got a text message from someone calling themselves Fatima Matthias that said, doing well, I hope. Could you agree to let us pay you $500 a week in exchange for putting a modest advertisement, parenthesis, decal slash sticker, end parenthesis, on your car? To continue, answer yes. And yes was in all caps. Well, obviously, I didn't answer at all. I blocked the number and saved the email to tell you about it. This scam has been going around, and it's pretty obvious because it sounds way too good to be true. So I did a little research and discovered that not all scammers are very clever. Some of them are dumb, some of them are dumber, and some are downright hilarious. Here are a few examples of the wilder phony texts and social media posts. Hi, I'm Lady Gaga. I need $145 to keep working on my new song. $145 for what? Lunch? Hello, I am the UK government. You need to pay £1,500 iTunes gift card to me, or you are under the rest. Under the rest of what? Hello, it's Prince Philip. My wife, the Queen, needs money to help pay for my funeral. God save the Queen. Hey, it's Michael Jackson. I'm messaging you from a private account. I'm not really dead. Can you cash app me $600 so I can come back to the United States and put out more music? Hee hee. Michael, I'm in Neverland. I'm a federal agent from LinkedIn. Your number was choosing out of all members. Hopefully you $5,000. But we often do you have to send us your ID card to know if he's really you. If you make no sense, how can you expect anyone to send you dollars? And here's a couple that came in via email. One of them had a logo from Telstra, a real telecommunications company in Australia. It said, This is Courtesy Note, spelled C-O-U-R-T-E-C-Y. We are formally inform you formally that the sheriff is coming to arrest you today. You must make the payment of $856.32 immediately into the direct account. Telstra are wanting to resolve this for avoiding the sheriff and your arrest. Doesn't sound like an Australian accent to me. And finally, an email with a lovely color ad headlined, 
Worried about your pets after the rapture? For just $9.99 a month, you can register your pet to be cared for after you are raptured. All our staff have been selected based on their love of animals first, but most importantly, they are either atheists or non-Christians. After the rapture, pet care, trademark symbol. Call this number. We know that not all victims report being scammed. If you fell for any of those, would you tell anyone? I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems, encouraging independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. 